This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Tuesday, April 20th. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Here's how we're making you smarter today. A strong start to earnings season. Plus, European soccer goes to war. But first, the jury's job in the Chauvin trial is today's one big thing. The jury is deliberating whether or not to convict former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin over the death of George Floyd. Here's how this phase of the trial will work. Presiding Judge Peter Cahill will allow the jury to deliberate every day until 7 o'clock. And if they reach a decision after sunset, the decision will be read the following morning. Axios Twin Cities reporter Nick Halter is here to tell us what else you need to know. Nick, the closing arguments are finished. What did lawyers for both sides impress upon the jury? The prosecution, their case was largely telling the jury to use their common sense. They used the word common sense many times, which was just trust what you saw in that video. What you saw in that video was murder. There was a nine-year-old girl who identified that at the scene. And so don't, basically don't make this too complicated. Go with what your gut tells you. Go with what your heart tells you. Uh, Don't overthink this, basically. And what did the defense say? Yeah, the defense attorney, Eric Nelson, wanted to let the jury know that Officer Chauvin was acting as a responsible police officer that day, that he was dealing with someone who was difficult to control, and that he was worried about the crowd that was gathering around him that day. And then he also raised doubts about what caused the death, if it was drugs in his system, a heart problem, or Chauvin's knee, just raising doubt about what the factors could have been. So there's three charges here, second and third degree murder and second degree manslaughter. What does the jury have to consider to convict? So on second degree, it's fairly straightforward, which is that he caused the death of George Floyd and that he attempted to assault him, even if it didn't necessarily mean to kill him. He was intending to assault him and cause great bodily harm. That's the second degree. Third degree is a a little bit more murky. We're a rare state that does have third degree murder in Minnesota. But basically, as the language reads, is that the defendant caused the death of George Floyd by an intentional act that was imminently dangerous to other persons. The only kind of difficulty with third degree is that it comes with the same sentence as second degree, the same recommended sentence. But the difficulty is that it's sort of in murky legal waters at the Minnesota Supreme Court because of a different case here. And so it's not as clean of a conviction for the prosecution. And what are the penalties for second and third degree murder? Well, they both have a recommended sentence of uh, 12 and a half years, but in each case, the judge can consider some aggregating factors from the jury that would allow him to go higher than that. And I believe on the second degree, he could go up to 40 years if, if he considered all of those aggregating factors. We've been talking for months about how much Minneapolis has been on edge, and it's actually leading up to this phase of the trial. What are activists saying about this moment? Well, I think there's a general mood that I, I think activists want to see a murder conviction here. There is a lesser charge of manslaughter. And then obviously they don't want to see a mistrial or him found not guilty. But generally speaking, the feeling here is that a murder conviction will lead to a fairly peaceful outcome. 
Nick Halter is one of Axios's local reporters in the Twin Cities. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Nyla. We'll be back in 15 seconds with what's driving record highs for the stock market. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome back to Axios Today. The Dow and S&P 500 started the week at record highs, and that comes as companies are starting to report first quarter earnings. And though it's early, the news has been good. Axios' Managing Editor for Business, Asia Whitaker-Moore, is here to explain what's driving this news. Good morning, Asia. Hi, how are you? Who's done well so far, Asia? Well, basically, we start off earnings season with the large U.S. banks and brokers, and they really had a blowout quarter. We're talking about J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, and Bank of America. And that's really because they had massive amounts of deal activity, really heavy trading volumes, and doing all that on the back of a much healthier consumer. And are those banks a fair barometer for the overall economy? Well, it really just lends credence to the idea that the economy has put the pandemic behind it in terms of financial terms. Obviously, we're all dealing with still the the health impact of things, but the stock market continues to hit record highs. We're seeing employment continuing to rise and earnings forecasts are doing the same along with those indicators. And so later this week, we're expecting reports from companies like Netflix, Coca-Cola, Johnson & Johnson, completely different industries. Are analysts expecting this trend to continue? Yeah, I mean, I think overall consensus estimates are calling for the positive trend to continue and earnings for most publicly traded investment-grade companies to grow almost 25%. And that's according to a forecast that we've seen from Bank of America. And our markets newsletter recently reported analysts are predicting double-digit earnings growth for the remaining three quarters of the year. What does that mean for the rest of us? Well, I mean, I think that you're going to hear enthusiasm about higher earnings, and that means that the resilient consumers have been, you know, really boosted by stimulus and the better expected vaccine rollout. And you're going to see that translate into hopefully a better job market. And that's, I think, one of the barometers that everybody's watching. Exodus's Managing Editor for Business, Asia Whitaker-Moore. Thank you, Asia. Thank you. European soccer fans are in an uproar over an announcement of a new Super League of the biggest, richest teams. Think Liverpool, Real Madrid, and AC Milan that would compete with the long-established Champions League. Axios' sports editor Kendall Baker is here to catch us up. Kendall, how angry are European soccer fans right now? Extremely angry. (laughs) This is, you know, an absolute kind of war that started on Sunday. We're only a day later and we're already seeing almost everybody within the sports world having something to say about this and and almost everybody on that same side of this is terrible. It's strong, strong hatred for what's going on right now. And explain why the optics of this are so bad and why people are so angry. 
So I think one thing to understand here that it's a cultural thing in many respects. So in European soccer, one of the core pillars is this idea of open competition and, and these ideas of promotion and relegation and the idea that these smaller clubs get to play these bigger clubs a lot of times and there's a chance that maybe they can win some of those games. They also get to benefit financially from you know rubbing shoulders against those larger clubs because they're sharing in TV deals and, and all these things. What you're seeing here is a very quite frankly, American ideal of a closed league where you have the best teams all in one place where they can all make more money. And so you're just seeing a clash of cultures where, you know, soccer fans, of particularly of these smaller clubs that aren't included in these bigger clubs, years, centuries of tradition all of a sudden uh, seems to be being uprooted and it all seems to be in the name of money. And so it's a really, it's a huge clash of just greed versus culture, greed versus tradition, and it's not being received well. Kendall Baker is Exeus' sports editor. Thanks, Kendall. Thank you. One more thing before we go. Yesterday, a team of scientists announced they're embarking on a five-year mission to decode how whales communicate. National Geographic explorer Shane Garrow has for years recorded a family of sperm whales in the Eastern Caribbean, talking to each other in click-like sounds. They're called codas. But is it a language? A team of scientists, experts in linguistics, robotics, and machine learning, are planning to record millions of other conversations to help crack the code. The National Geographic Society, which is funding Project CT, says it could be the largest interspecies communication effort in history. That's it for us today. You can reach your team at podcasts at axios.com or find me on Twitter. My handle's Nyla Voodoo. If you want more news before tomorrow, you can tune into our afternoon podcast, Axios Recap. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning. <laughs>